Happy Friday. This is Talking Sports with Evan. I am your host, clearly Evan Wittaus. And then thank you for being, uh, sorry, thank you for watching and sorry for being about a minute late for joining the show. I uh, ended up running a little later at work than I thought because, you know, apparently I haven't learned how to do a schedule. Um, apparently I double booked myself and didn't realize I double booked myself. So. Here we are, and I'm a little bit late, but like I said, thank you for tuning in and watching. Uh, those that are watching live, thank you. Comment along. Uh, those that are watching it um, or listening to it later, feel free to comment as well. But lots to talk about today. The Milwaukee Brewers continuing to play good baseball. They are first in the NL Central, sitting at 14-5, and five, going to start a series against Boston and continuing to win, uh, find ways to win, manufacture ways to win, and they are getting there. And I'm going to talk about that and discuss how long can this actually last because injuries are starting to pile up. The latest one I got to find on my phone, Garrett Mitchell injured badly. Brewers outfield season is in jeopardy with surgery likely after MRI reveals significant damage to his labrum. So he got hurt in the game on Wednesday, no, Tuesday against the Seattle Mariners sliding in the base. And it sounded like it could be a similar injury to what former pitcher of the Brewers had, uh, Jimmy Nelson. It's not like it could be a similar injury. But the injuries are piling on currently. You know, we're going to discuss how long I think this lasts for Milwaukee. Milwaukee Bucks, speaking of the other Milwaukee sports team that is playing in the NBA playoffs right now, tough game one loss to the Miami Heat. Followed up by a complete butt-kicking in Game 2 against the Miami Heat. What went well, and what do the Bucks need to do to win? Um, what do the Bucks need to do to win in Game 3? And is Giannis going to play? Giannis left Game 1 early with the back, and now he is currently questionable for Game 2-3. He missed Game 2 because of the back. And I guess it's a good thing that he's questionable today because... He was doubtful. Um, I yeah, he was doubtful Monday or Tuesday, and then Wednesday they upgraded him to questionable, and then he didn't play. So the fact that he is questionable now, does he get upgraded to probable or playing when the game gets set to play tomorrow? And can the Bucks win Game Three with or without Giannis? That'll be the million dollar question. And this time next week, round one of the NFL draft will be over. Round two will be underway. And I asked a question earlier on Twitter. What player, if the Packers choose to draft in the first round, what player would you wake up Friday morning following the first round of the draft, what player would you be mad about? I used a little head-exploding um, from some uh, animated movie um, as, a, as a gift because I thought it would fit a lot of people. You know, because there'll be a lot of reactions Thursday when the pick comes in, but after you sleep on it, you know, what pick is going to have you just uh, ready to piss people, you know, be pissed off? And I'm going to also talk about that and talk about each team's biggest need going into the NFL draft that I feel is their biggest need and what's holding them back. So 
Thank you so much for watching. That's the outline of the show here today. And going to start off with the Milwaukee Brewers. And like I said, the Brewers currently at 14 and 5, about to take on the Boston Red Sox in a little over an hour. Uh, first pitch is set at 7:10. So a little bit over an hour, first pitch is set. And the Brewers, as I said, they're playing pretty solid baseball right now. They're continuing to win. They're continuing to find ways to win. Uh, Corbin Burns is supposed to start tomorrow after leaving the game early. Um, his last start was some shoulder uh, peck strain, I think they caught it. But the Brewers continuing to work on trying to find ways to win. And they've been winning a lot with the young guys. And we're now three weeks into the season. Three weeks ago yesterday was opening day. And the Brewers sitting at 14 and 5. And some guys that are standing out for me right now with the Brewers in a good way. You have Bryce Terang, the rookie, um, off to a really good start, getting on base um, quite a bit, playing some good baseball um, is Terang. Um, William Contreras has been great both behind the mound, behind home plate. As the catcher and with the bat, he's currently a 302, 393, uh, 340, 733 uh, stat line. Hasn't Doesn't have a home run yet this year, but he has four RBI, 16 hits on 53 plate appearances. And he's walked eight times in those 53 appearances, struck out 10 times. Brian Anderson, currently batting 273, three home runs, 15 RBIs has three doubles, and I mentioned the three home runs, has struck out 21 times, but he has walked eight, and he's slash line of 273, 342, 455, 797. Unfortunate news about Garrett Mitchell, but Garrett Mitchell has been a bit of a surprise, you know, not a surprise, but a good, strong player thus far, especially in the field, but he'll likely be out for the rest of the season. And Christian Yelich has been... Okay, so far. He's currently batting 234, 322, 377, 699. Uh uh with he has three home runs, seven RBIs. He's trucking up 27 times, which is concerning. But he is getting better looks at the plate. Um he's had some good games recently, not so good games as well. So he's still been up and down, but I think he's you know, been doing a better job in 18 hits and 77 at bats and walking 10 times. He's finding he's stolen four bases and he's finding ways to push people across. Adamas, who's traditionally a slow starter, has been pretty hot with four home runs, 12 RBIs, 254 batting average. Roddy Telez has picked it up lately. Um, he's batting 237, but just last week he was. In the low 200s and the upper 100s, uh, he's really turned it around. Luke Bolt has turned it around recently. He's gotten his batting average up to 270, uh, on base percentage of 289, slugging 297. And you know, he could get on base a little better, but where he started and where he's at now, happy to see. And, uh, you know, Brasso has filled in nicely when needed. But the problem the Brewers have had, Luis Urias moved to the 60-day IL, got her first game of the year. You remember Brandon Sneed talking about that uh, following the Brewers' opening day loss to the Cubs, that he got hurt and looked significant when now he's on the 60-day IL. 
Um, Corbin Burns, as I mentioned, strained pectoral muscle. Um, not going to miss the start, but that is concerning. Brandon Woodworth is going to be out for a while with a shoulder issue, um, shoulder blade issue. Probably not going to see him for several weeks or months. Garrett Mitchell likely done for the year. Injuries are starting to catch up. Adrian Hauser should be coming back soon, which is a good thing. I know a lot of people don't like Adrian Hauser, but he's serviceable. And you know what you're going to get with him. Unfortunately, he won't get to be that sixth guy in the rotation this year. Colin Ray's been pitching well in place of Woody, which is good to see. Lauer pitched better the last couple last start. Freddie Peralta has been pitching pretty well, except his most recent start. We'll see how he does. I think tonight he's on the mound. Um, so, and then, so yeah. That, and then, oh, Wade Miley, couldn't think of the, another starter. He's been great, one of the positives that we've seen from the Brewers thus far. So health is a big concern, and how healthy the Brewers are, uh, if they can stop having injuries, they could still continue to play well and continue to win baseball games. But eventually these injuries are going to catch up to them as you're going to be bringing people up from AAA or playing people more frequently than you would like to because you keep getting guys injured. So hopefully we're about done with that. We can always hope. We can always be hopeful and be optimistic that we are finishing up, hopefully, with all these injuries that have been happening with the Brewers thus far this season, and hopefully they can stay healthy and continue to win baseball games. Other surprises in Major League Baseball so far through a couple weeks. I, got a, I had a tab open for this, but it went away. Unfortunately, and now my internet. Oh, here we go. So the Tampa Bay Rays, 16 and three. Big surprise. And I figured Tampa Bay would be a good team. They've been good the last several years, but they're 10 and 0 at home, 6 and 3 on the road, 7 and 3 in their last 10. And they are just winning baseball games at a very high clip right now. Are they going to settle back down and get back down to earth and probably go, go on a couple losing streaks here and there? Yes. But Tampa Bay has been quite surprising thus far. The New York Yankees at 12 and 7, probably a little disappointing. 12 and 7 is not bad. It's 632 record, uh, winning percentage. But I think they're not as hot as they were hoping. The Twins are surprising, sitting at 11 and 8 so far, first place in the AL Central. The White Sox, disappointing, 7 and 12. Tigers are surprising, 7 and 10. The Rangers, surprising 12 and 6. Houston at 9 and 10. Angels at 9 and 10. Mariners 8 and 11. The Athletics 3 and 16. Soon to be the Las Vegas Athletics, unfortunately. They're at 3 and 16. Very disappointing. And we knew they were going to be bad, but not quite this bad. I feel sorry for the four or five Oakland fans that do go to every game. But the Rangers at 12 and 6 are very surprised. So. They've spent a lot of money the past couple of years and have not seen the results. Where now they're starting to see the results. Jump over to the A, I mean the NL. No surprise, the Atlanta Braves 14 and 5. Surprise, the floor, the Miami Marlins sitting at 10 and 9. Three weeks into the season, game over 500. That's good for Miami. Nobody was expecting Miami to be anywhere near 500. And through three weeks of the season, they're staying up there and they're 7 and 3. In their last 10 games. So it's not like they got to 500 with a losing streak. They're 7-3 and three in their last 10. 
Philly's a disappointing eight and twelve. They they went on a hot streak last year that brought them all the way to World Series runner-ups after they fired their manager, and they're disappointing eight and twelve to start the year. Good for them. Bryce Harper soon to be back, looking for a May return from the injured list from Tommy John surgery that he had. The Brewers surprising 14 and 5. They're 7 and 3 in their last 10, 5 and 1 at home, 9 and 4 on the road. The Brewers have not had a lot of home games yet this year, but they got a nice home stand coming up. 3 against Boston, 3 against Detroit, 3 against the Angels, and then we'll see where they go from uh where they go from there, but the Brewers have definitely been one of the league surprising teams thus far. Pirates surprising everybody, sitting at 13 and 7, 7 and 3 uh, over their last 10. The Cubs 12 and 7, 7 and 3 over their last 10. Disappointing, St. Louis Cardinals sitting at 8 and 11, um, 5 and 5 in their last 10, not playing very well at home, 5 and 8 and 3 and 3 on the road. The Reds, we figured they'd be bad. They are sitting at 7 and 12. Arizona Diamondbacks, 11 and 9. Five, the only 500 team, <clears throat> excuse me, in the entire NL West as of April 21st. And they're 5 and 5 over the, their last 10. It kind of gives you an idea of the, what, how the rest of the division is going. The Padres are 10 and 11, 4 and 6 in their last. The Dodgers, 10 and 11, 4 and 6 in their last. Giants, 6 and 12, 3 and 7 in their last. And the Rockies, 6-14, and 2-8 in their last 10. So the West is surprising. Figure the Rockies would be bad. Everybody figured that the division would come down between the Padres and the Dodgers. And it still probably will. It's only three weeks into the season. But figure the Giants would be competing for third place uh, quite easily over Arizona. But Arizona's young players are playing well, too. And the young guys, for the most part, I would say overall in baseball, are taking advantage of some of these newer rules that are in place as guys are comfortable. Now, yes, the the Brewers, the Pirates, the Diamondbacks, the Miami Marlins, they're going to have stretches where they don't play very good baseball. But I think the Brewers pitching staff is good enough that they're not going to have that many. So we'll see next week. Brewers are currently a game and a half up on the Pirates. The Diamondbacks game and a half up on the Padres. The Braves a game and a half up on the Mets. That could be completely flip-flop next week, which I will talk about during next week's show, which will be a live NFL draft show. But I will talk a little bit about what the latest is in baseball standings-wise. The Yankees could easily be in first place by the end of the week. Um, the Guardians can easily be in first place by the end of the weekend. The Angels and the Astros can be jump the Rangers easily. So basically what I'm saying is, for the teams that are exceeding expectations right now, feel free to be happy, celebrate. Be I'm happy with what the Brewers are doing, but I do know that it's a long season and that can change very quickly, especially with the way the Brewers' health is going right now. It can change with the Brewers too. So, unfortunately, as I mentioned, Garrett Mitchell is probably out for the rest of the season with damage to his labrum. The Bucks lose Game One embarrassingly, one thirty to one seventeen. First, a playoff record for the Heat. The Heat offense is awful, but yet they score 130. And they shot 60% from the field, 60% from three. You knew the Heat weren't going to be able to do that. And the Bucks shot a embarrassing percentage from three. 
and you knew the Bucks weren't going to shoot that bad again. Game two came around. Bucks win 138 to 122. And in reality, the game was not that close. The Heat uh, had a pretty strong fourth quarter when the Bucks kind of checked out. Bucks only scored 20 points in the fourth quarter. The Heat's 37. Outside of that, they held the Cheeks uh, Heat in check 28, 27, and 30 points in quarters one, two, and three, where the Bucks had 35, 46, and 37. Again, yes, they still had some starters on the floor in the fourth quarter, but overall, I think the Bucks really checked out um, because they had such a big lead. Game three in in uh, in Miami, Giannis is questionable. We'll see if he plays or not. But I I want to kind of go over game two and why the Bucks got the win. Chris Middleton only had sixteen points in twenty eight minutes. But he had seven assists, six rebounds, and he played pretty well defensively. But the biggest reason why the Bucks won, Bobby Portis puts up 13 points and 15 rebounds. Lopez, 25 points. Uh, Drew Holiday had 24. Pat Connaughton, 22. Grayson Allen, 16. Joe, Joe Ingles, 17. The scoring, basically the scoring was spread out. The Bucks had, what was it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven players in double-figure scoring. And it wasn't because of the garbage time in the fourth quarter that they had seven players in double figures. It was the Bucks' total domination from opening tip to final, buzz, final buzzer that had the Bucks win this win. And I know the Bucks took a lot of three pointers. They they made they converted on twenty five of them, shooting fifty one percent from three. But the biggest reason why the Bucks won is they attacked the inside. They went inside out. In game one, they tried to do a lot of outside in, couldn't nail the three. They went inside out, forced the Heat to try to worry more about that middle, and then guys stepped up and started making shots. The Bucks once it came in total dominating fashion, and they went 7-8 and eight from the free throw line, while the Heat went 16-23. of 23. Total lopsided free throw percentage, to, I think, that 16 points right there helped the Heat close that gap a little bit too, make it a little closer at the end than it actually was. But the Bucks dominated inside with 45 total rebounds. They had 35 assists. They they had 11 turnovers, which some of that was in the set, uh, fourth quarter. They had nine steals, four blocked, 52 points in the paint. But the concerning thing, the 16 fouls to the Heat's nine. 10 steals from the Heat, but they forced 17 Heat turnovers. And you got to tip your hat to Pat Connaughton. Pat Connaughton loses his spot in the rotation in game one. They don't even play him a single minute. Did not play coach's decision. We don't know if they just want to give him an extra day because of the ankle or what happened. But either way, Pat Connaughton did not play at all in game one. Comes out in game two. 25 minutes, 22 points, and he, sorry, 25 minutes with 22 points, and he was probably the biggest reason in the second quarter when the Bucks went on a huge run into halftime, he was one of the biggest reasons. I think he nailed like three three-pointers in a row, had a layup, a steal, which he laid up. Connaughton attacked and was aggressive and brought a lot of energy off the bench, along with Joe Ingles. Those two were the unsung heroes in this game. Ingles with 17 points in 25 minutes, and 
his three-point attempts were just inc- incredible and perfect timing. And his passing ability, wow. Joe Ingles can pass the ball and saw a horrible tweet at one point from the Ike Bucks podcast page that complained about what Joe Ingles was doing on the floor. And it was all, it was an awful take because Joe Ingles brought a lot of energy off the bench as well as Pat Connaughton. And I think with those guys heating up, it allowed everybody else to get comfortable and the Bucks just outplayed the Heat. And the thing is, the Heat are not that great of a team. Yes, Jimmy Butler had his 25. Bam Adebayo had his 18. Um, but Victor Oladipo came off the bench for 15. Kyle Lowry had five. Um, Gabe Vincent, 16. Duncan Robinson, 14. But a lot of those were in garbage time for Duncan Robinson. I think we saw why Duncan Robinson didn't play a lot this season and why he does he didn't really play at all until Tyler Hero's injury. I think the Tyler Hero injury is too much for the Heat to overcome. But I, what I want to see in Game 3 is the same energy from the Bucks. Game 1, obviously, urgency was not there. Game 2, lots of urgency. They were aggressive. They attacked. They played really good basketball. And that's what I want to see in Game 3 is I want to see that aggressive attitude that, hey, we're better than this basketball team with or without our best player. We have to show it. And that's what the Bucks did. They showed that they were the better team overall in Game 2. And hopefully that continues in Game 3. Because the home team role players tend to play a little bit better on the, um, than they do on the road. So we'll see if some of these guys at the Heat end up having good games. But... The Heat don't have a lot of depth, and they don't have a lot of talent. And Tyler Hero was one of their better players, and without him, it's going to be difficult. A couple other things I want to discuss. Bobby Portis finishes third and sixth man of the year. Malcolm Brogdon wins the year. I personally think Bobby Portis should have got sixth man of the year. But maybe because Bobby Portis started too many games, they didn't feel they wanted to give him sixth man. I don't know. But to me, Bobby Portis was the sixth man of the year. And that's really the only the only award that the Bucks are not going to win, that they're a finalist in, that's the only award that really, truly bothers me. Do I think Brooke Lopez should have got a little bit more love? Yes, but the guy who he who beat, who beat won Defensive Player of the Year, great season by him. Um, Giannis is my MVP. He should win it. But I, I understand that that's not how the MVP works anymore. It's not about who's the most valuable player or not. It's about... Whose turn is it to win that year? And this year, it's Joel Embiid's turn. The human flopper. Like, he was flying himself, landing on the floor, all over the place in uh, yesterday's game against the the Nets and really should have been ejected. He kicked the dude. He kicked the dude below the belt quite blatantly. Yes, I know you're going to say the player shouldn't have stepped over him or taunted him. But it doesn't excuse him kicking somebody. He should have been ejected. I hope he gets suspended because that behavior is ridiculous. And James Harden gets thrown out of the game for him trying to do a chicken wing that he loves to do to get gain separation. It just went a little low. I don't think, I think it was a good sell job too by the defender. But Embiid maliciously kicked the dude 
and got only got a flagrant one. That should have been a flagrant two, flagrant two ejection from the game. I thought it was ridiculous that Embiid stayed in the game. But the point I'm trying to make, it's his turn to be the MVP. Last year and the year before, it was Jokic's turn. The two years prior to that, it was Giannis's turn. Before that, it was Harden's turn. Then it, what you know? So it's the MVP. They give it to whose turn it is. So next year, it'll be Embiid again. Then after that, it'll be John Morant. Then after that, it'll be somebody else. So that's just how the MVP works. But Bobby Portis, based on his body of work this season, should have won six man of the year. He brought energy. He brought fire. And again, maybe some of the voters felt, and I would love to ask the voters that didn't vote for him. What was it about Bobby Portis that you put him third place and sixth man of the year? What was it about him? Because unfortunately, the sixth man of the year award has turned into the be- the the best guard, the best six guard, you know, six person who plays guard of the year. Because it's turned into be a guard dominated award, just like the MVP in football is a quarterback dominated award. The Heisman Trophy is a quarterback dominated award. The sixth man of the year is a guard dominated award. Bud's not going to get coach of the He didn't get coach of the year. I think the uh, Davis from Sacramento deserves it for what he's been able to do in Sacramento to get the Kings where they're at right now, up two games to one over Golden State. So I'm not going to complain about that either. But Bobby Porter should have been sixth person of the year. And I'm not leaving that soapbox. He was the best guy off the bench this season, and he should have got it. And he had to start more games than he was anticipating because of injuries to Brooke and Yan- well, Brooke, to Giannis and Middleton and Holiday. So he had to start more frequently, but he should have been sixth man of the year. So NFL draft, one week away. This time, next week, we'll be into the second round of the NFL draft. And I asked this question on Twitter earlier today, got a bunch of really good reactions from people. And here's the question I posed. This time next week, we would be a day after the first round of the NFL draft. Who is one guy, if the Packers took at 15, that would have you wake up mad? And a lot of good reactions. Um, Aaron Andrews from uh, at Lombardi Lounge, probably any offensive lineman. I disagree with I. So him and I disagree there. I think taking an offensive lineman, depending on who it is, would be fine. Michael Michael Meyer, tight end from Notre Dame, um, from at Beavers thirty three, um, at WI guy in uh, MN a tight end or a punter for that matter. So no tight end or punter for WI guy and MN. And I agree about the, the, the punter piece tight end. If they were to move back from 15, I'd be okay with it, but not at 15. I wouldn't be pissed off depending on who the tight end was, but if they drafted a punter in the first round, I would walk up to 1265, put it, hold up a picket sign and say fire Goody. And I'm usually, a, I'm not saying I'm a big Goody supporter, but I'm usually a Goody defender. Fender, if that makes sense. Ray um, Winkroft says, I I will support my team no matter who they draft as they must have reasons for each pick. And Ray, take a position. Like, come on, man. 
You mean to tell me you blindly support your team no matter what they do? What if they draft C.J. Stroud number one? What if they trade up to number one and take C.J. Stroud? What if they take a kicker in the first round? You're not going to be mad about it? What if they draft a long snapper? What if they draft a running back? Like, you're not going to be mad at certain if they draft certain positions over others? Like, come on. I, I, I know there is a guy in the draft that the Packers take, Ray, you will not be happy about. I get being a fan. Rah, rah, rah. But I'm a big Packer fan. I tend to side with, you know, I, well, I shouldn't say I side with. I understand certain moves that they make, or at least that's what I say. But there's positions that they drafted. I'm throwing my computer out the window. I need to get a new computer. And Ray, I'm I'm sure you have somebody in this draft, a position group in this draft. If they took at number 15 overall or traded up, I'm sure you would be mad. So D D D D, the Packers are on the clock. The pick is in. The Packers take punter Bill Barr from. University of Idaho. You wouldn't be mad. So if that's the case, more power to you. Fan how you want to fan. I don't care. But I just have a hard time believing that there is not a single pick the Packers can make that wouldn't make you upset. I don't I don't believe it. I'm not saying you're a liar. I'm, I, I just don't believe it. I think there's somebody that you would be upset about. Jacob Schumacher at Jacob underscore shoe underscore 24. Keon White or Hyatt. So the Hyatt being the wide receiver from Tennessee. Keon White, an edge defensive end guy from Georgia Tech. If So yes, if the Packers took one of those guys at 15, I would be unhappy. I'd be unhappy if we took a... Uh, took White or Hyde at 15. If they took Keon White, let's say, in the second round, I'm okay with it. But I don't need Keon White in the first round. I don't need Hyatt in the first round either. I like Hyatt. I think he's very explosive wide receiver, and you want to get as many weapons as you possibly can for Jordan Love. But I think Hyatt would be a reach in the first round. Um. I think I I think Hyatt would be a big reach, especially if Nick uh, Nigba, uh, uh, the guy from Ohio State, if he's still on the uh, board, and they take Hyatt over him, then I'll definitely be upset. Marcus Thompson uh, at Marcus Crutz. Uh, nobody, literally nobody. Wait and see. We could pick a quarterback, and I would wait and see. Same thing I said to Ray Marcus. I I'm pretty sure if they took a kicker a punter, a long snapper, I'm sure you would be upset. I'm quite positive you would be upset if they took a kicker, a punter, or a long snapper. I think you'd be mad. So, Sam Volpe, football icon. Any defensive player not named Miles Murphy, Brian Branch, Nolan Smith, or Joey Porter Jr.? The 15th pick should be on our wide receiver or Darnell Washington. Sam, feel you. I kind of agree with you there, except for Darnell Washington. I think at 15, it is a reach to take Darnell Washington. If they take him at, let's say, 30, I'm okay with that. But I, 
I don't like taking tight ends early. Tight ends take a while to develop. They take a while to become NFL quality players. And we have more misses than hits in the first round seemingly every year. TJ Hawkinson is on his second team. The other Iowa tight end that year, and his name is Keith me right now, he's on his second team. And they really haven't done anything to this point to justify their first round pick. They haven't. Rob Gronkowski, one of the top tight ends in NFL history, was a fourth or a fifth round pick. Kittle was a late round pick. Kelsey was a later round pick. There's tight ends you can take later on in the second or third round that'll give you, if not the same, better production in year one than taking a tight end in the the first round. Yes, Murphy's good. Kincaid is good. Washington is good. Musgrave is good. But I'd rather take Musgrave in round two, Kincaid in round two, late round one, Darnell Washington, late round one, second round. I'd rather go that route than take a tight end at 15. Bart Van Vufris. Bart Starfan says any quarterback. If you take a quarterback at 15, I don't care who it is. It could be Bryce Young. It could be C.J. Stroud. It can be the second coming of Bart Starr. I'm going to be mad. Well, he just said any quarterback, so I'm kind of exaggerating a little bit for him. Johnny, uh, at Johnny, um, multiple N's and E's, and Johnny, Heldon Hooker. I agree. I'm not taking him. I'm not taking a 25-year-old quarterback coming off an ACL tear at number 15. Now, if Hooker happens to be there in round three or round four, sure, sign me up. I'm fine with that. But 15, no. Hor- um, horrible four at horrible four. Any defensive player not named Tyree Wilson. I will actually throw up if they take another defensive player in the first round. And I get that, but horrible four, be prepared to throw up. Because I, I so I was having a conversation with my uh, guy next to me at, at work in the cubicle next to me, one of my, one of my friends, Ed. And I said they are not going to take a tight end or a wide receiver in the first round. They're just not. I guarantee you they will not. And he's like, you mean ever, ever? Well, no. I, I don't think they're going to take a tight a wide receiver or a tight end in the first, or even a running back for that matter. And let watch them take Robinson. But anyways, I don't think they take an offensive skill guy as long as somebody from the Ron Wolf tree is in Green Bay running the show. Since 1988, so Ron Wolf, I want to say 91, he started. And I even went back to 1988. Since 1988, the Packers have taken three non-quarterback skilled position players in the first round. Sterling Sharp, Bubba Franks, Javon Walker. And Javon Walker was drafted in 2002. They have not, they've only taken... If they haven't taken a defensive player in round one since that 2002 draft, they've taken either they've taken an offensive lineman. If they haven't taken a defensive guy, they just they they just don't value those skill position players in the in the opening rounds. And think it's not a bad thing though because they've had a lot of success in the past developing 
second, third, fourth, and seventh round wide receivers. Tight end, they could be better at developing. Jermichael Finley was on his way to looking like an all-pro caliber tight end before his neck injury, but outside of that, they haven't done a great job of drafting and developing tight ends, but that's a whole other story. But I just don't see them taking an offensive player who's not an offensive lineman in round one. I just don't see it. Um, Jason uh, Zash, whatever, J.R., Anyway, any tight end. And him and him and I are the same. With If they take a tight end at 15, I'm going to be not happy. Hayden, Keon White, uh, another uh, Sakara, any, and I mean any tight end taken around one. So he doesn't even want to trade back or take a tight end. Ryan Will, 61, Van Ness. I like Van Ness. I think he's a solid player. I think you take him at 15 with the plans of developing like you did a uh, Rashawn Gary. I think he's a fine player. I wouldn't be happy and jumping up in joy if they took Van Ness at 15. But I also wouldn't be flipping over the table, screaming and yelling, throwing up curse words nonstop. I, I would be indifferent. That kind of when they took Rashawn Gary, I was very indifferent. That's what I would be if they took Van Ness. The NFL draft Dodger, I'm guessing he's not serious here because there's no chance in any universe this happens. He's put Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett's likely going undrafted. So if the Packers took Stetson Bennett in round one, the very next move the Packers make is Goody's being terminated. Again, if Stenson Bennett gets drafted at 15, number 15, when he's a projected undrafted free agent, Goody needs to be fired immediately. And they got to beg and plead to the NFL that we were just kidding. This is not the pick we wanted to make. That's what they would have to do. Nick Blankberg, any offensive lineman except Skaronsky. And why would you like Skaronsky, Nick? Is it because he went to Northwestern? Is it the short arms? Is it the... We we just only we only want him because his granddad played for Lombardi. Like why not Skaronsky? He was one of the best offensive linemen in college football last year. He played really well against Ohio State. You know how you know how good Ohio State's defense is. Would I be super excited if they took Skaronsky? Probably not. But again, would I be flipping over the table mad? No. Joshua at heavy CR three a.m. Any tight end. Jason at Rex Wright 5979 Breeze, defensive lineman from Clemson. We had that guy for four plus years, and his name was Dean Lowry. Very underwhelming. Kind of agree with you there. I don't think Breeze is the first round uh, talent. But here's the thing with the draft this year there's really only 15 to 20 guys that'll be bona fide first round picks. Most any guy once you get into that out of that fifteen to twenty range, most of those guys are scored or rated at second, third, fourth. You know they're rated more second round guys. So there's very limited first round talent in this year's draft. That's what I'm getting at. Very limited first round talent in this year's draft. So that's why I wouldn't be mad if the Packers even traded up to get somebody. 
But at 15, if their guy isn't there, feel free to trade back and look to get, you know, who's next on your board. Because I, I don't know the Packers board, but I'm going to guess there's not a lot of first-round guys they have listed um, for this year. Todd Moroney, Tanner Morgan, again, he's likely not going to be drafted. Yes, I know he was a Packer top 30 visit, but the Packers have a lot of people that come in on the top 30 visits, and they end up bringing them in as undrafted free agents. They're doing their homework. They're doing their due diligence. Yes, I don't want Tanner Morgan on my team, but they're just doing their homework. And maybe they bring uh, Tanner Morgan in for a uh, an extra body to have in that quarterback room because you need a backup quarterback. And yes, Tanner Morgan's not it, but you need a backup quarterback. You're going to be in a lot of trouble if you don't have a backup quarterback because what you know? What if Jordan Love gets hurt? Now you're in a lot of trouble. Galvin does not want Van Ness. Uh, CC23, quarterback or Polar Raiders and take a kicker. Trust me, they're not taking a kicker in the first round. There's not a Sebastian Janikowski in this year's draft. Uh, Phil, Dalton Kincaid, back injuries, no way. Joseph W., quarterback. Jacob Wolf, Keon White. If they take him, I'll scream. Or if they leave JSN. Uh, that's the wide receiver from Ohio State on the board. John Anderson, Henson Hooker. Not Henson Hooker, but I know who you mean. And then in three years, I'll let everyone know it's a great pick, and he was head and shoulders, the best quarterback in the draft. Kind of a Jordan Love shot there. But Jordan Love, we don't know what Jordan Love's going to be. Um, at the end of the day, we don't know what Jordan Love's, what he is yet. And there were a lot of people in the year Jordan Love was drafted, um, Todd McShay was one of them that had Jordan Love as a first-round pick. Todd McShay, I think, had Jordan Love going before um, the guy Sandy uh, uh, Los Angeles Rams took. So Jordan Love was there. Were, people were very high on Jordan Love coming out of Utah State. The reason why it's we hate it, it's a bad pick, it's horrible, he sucks, should have never happened, is the Packers took him. If Jordan Love would have been drafted by, let's say, the Detroit Lions in the first round or the Minnesota Vikings in the first round, the talking heads on Get Up, the talking heads on First Take, the Sports Center crew, the local shows, the national shows, they're not talking about how bad Jordan Love is going to be. They're not. But because the Packers took him when they still had Aaron Rodgers, it's the worst thing ever. But you got to remember is Rodgers came off a down year for his standard, yes, but it was still a down year. And typically quarterbacks at his age don't bounce back and have two of his best seasons in a long time. He ended up having two straight MVP seasons. Yes, the situation wasn't handled correctly because why? If I could ask Brian Gutenkoos one question, that question would be, I'm going to pull up one of my colleagues in ESPN Wisconsin here and make it a very long question. Why? When you just drafted Jordan Love, would you sign Aaron Rodgers, who's still under contract for a couple years still, to a very high 
contract extension that financially cripples what you can do. The reason why the Packers have not been active in free agency at this point is because to trade Aaron Rodgers right now, they're pissing away, they're flushing down the toilet $8 million. So what they have in cap room right now, which I, th- I want to say it's $22 million, take $8 million away from that. That's what happens when you trade Aaron Rodgers. Why would you give him that contract and the very next year trade him away? Like, is this something you knew you were going to do when you gave him that contract? And I also want to know how much of this is Mark Murphy who is interfering in the football operations side. I want to know that too. So that is my thought on the Packers. Uh, You know, I kind of gave my thoughts on most of the positions as I went through. Um, But I guess I'm not going to go through every pick in the draft on what they need. Probably going to do a show on Tuesday where I do kind of a draft preview. But next week, Thursday, live on my Twitter at Evanwood Sports. Live on my Facebook, Evan Wittallison. My Facebook page, Talking Sports with Evan on YouTube, Evan Wittallison. I will have a live NFL draft show. Well, myself and Emlyn Thompson. Emlyn, like last year, we will break down each and every pick as they come in in that first round. Pick one through, I think it's 31 this year or 30. I know the Dolphins don't have a first-round pick. We're going to break it all down. And if and when the Aaron Rodgers trade happens on Thursday, we will talk about that trade as well. So thank you so much for watching, listening, whatever you're doing on a Friday or over the weekend to Talking Sports with Evan. I appreciate it. But put it in your schedule. I know there's a lot of draft content out there, a lot of people doing their own draft stuff. But please just give me a few minutes, you know, jump around the different people doing streams. I, I hope that you can tune in for at least a few minutes to listen to or watch my show. And if you comment, I'm looking for engagement from people too. engage with us. What do you think of this? What do you think of that? Um, give us li- give us your reaction. Why it's happening at Evan with sports talking sports with Evan on Facebook. So and Evan with Allison as well on Facebook. With that said, thank you all. Have a great weekend. Go Bucks, go Brewers. And Tuesday, I'm going to do a NFL draft preview. And then Thursday is my live NFL draft show where I will be going on going live at about 7 p.m., taking you to the final pick in the NFL draft. Have a good night, everybody. I will talk to you all later.